Welcome to Shekinah International Podcast. Our ministry reflects the five-fold ministry model Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Our podcast features leaders from multiple churches who are passionate about equipping Christians just like you to walk in purity and power, fulfilling your God-given purpose. God wants to do great exploits through you, so enjoy today's podcast. Praise God. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited to be here today. I'm excited about the progress that we are making on the house. Very, very excited about that. Um, excited about Monday night. Um, frankly, miraculous that Coggle Network is uh, united, that the body in this city is still united after what our nation's been through. Amen. It's a beautiful picture of the family of God. And um, I was prepping actually for Monday night state of the city, and the God started to talk to me about the family of God. And I know they talk about this at the furnace quite a bit. Jackie's come from the furnace and was there several years and was on staff there. Um, but when I asked him what he wanted to talk to the body about today, he said, I want you to talk about the family. So I know you know this. This is what came up. We are family. Do you do that with your families? Come on. All my brothers, sisters, and me, right? And we love that song. Everybody loves that song because there's nothing like family culture. There's nothing like walking into a room of people who grew up with you and they know you inside and out. They know your flaws and your hiccups and your quirks and your silly side and your when you wake up out of bed and your face is all swollen side, right? You know what I'm talking about, ladies and gentlemen, right? And they still love you. There's nothing like family, right? There's nothing like family. So as I was prepping today, I heard that song, and I thought, I'm going to let it out. It was funny, because when I got here, Lyra read the, read the slide and says, Stephanie, it says, we are family, all my brother, sister, and me. I said, oh, I must have been in the mood in that south side anointing down there when I put that together. <laughs> so thank you, Lyra. We got that fixed before it went up. So there's several verses we're going to go through today. I'm going to particularly start here out of Ephesians 4 through 6. This is one that we use a lot with uh, Coggle Network and specifically because if you're familiar with the theology of cities, all the epistles that were written to the church in the New Testament, very few were written to individuals unless they were uh, mentees of Paul, okay? But most of them were written to cities, a church in a city, so just say this with me. Say, I am part of the church in this city. Okay? We're all part of a larger body of Christ that is far more representative of whatever building we're in, whatever church we attend. The church or the corporate body that you're part of is a part of the regional city or the regional corporate body of Christ, okay? Now, we do break off into denominations, right, or into small groups, house churches sometimes, and we're called to um, advance a specific piece of the kingdom. Or maybe we're in a specific season in our life where we're learning a portion of revelation that that particular body uh, envelops or, or teaches or equips us in well in our region. Amen? So sometimes you ever know a lot of people that start, did you start in one denomination and work your way to another one, and then all of a sudden you outgrew that one, and you're in another one, and all of a sudden you outgrew the next one, and you're another one, and then you arrive, and you're like, okay, Lord, what's next, right? I mean, you don't arrive, right? We go from faith to faith and glory to glory. So hopefully somebody in the region is still listening to the Lord and moving forward. 
we get haggled or um, picked on sometimes as Christians. And Christians even say this out of their own mouth. So, Father God, I repent on behalf of all of us Christians who have made fun of the number of denominations in the Christian faith because you purposed it that way. And we say, well, there's 33,000 denominations within the Christian body or within the Christian faith, if you will. And I asked the Lord one time, you know, Lord, why is it like that? Why do we have so many? What is that like? And as I'm saying that now, I actually seen a picture of the father getting down on his knee and looking a young person or an individual or a person who's far from him in the eye. And what I heard was, it's like a ramp. God so loved the world that not only did he give his one and only son, but he gave so many facets and gifts to the Christian faith and to the Christian um, believers that he meets them wherever they're at. If it's at the beginning of the ramp, right down here, you know, and they don't know him real well and they want to bend down, stand up, bend down, stand up, right? And they still pray to saints and use the rosary. That's okay. That's where they're at. That's what they can relate to because they're from a culture where big churches and beauty and stained glass is very important. And for those of you who don't know, there's a fantastic movement happening in the Catholic Church right now, actually a five-fold movement, very similar to ours, spirit-filled. They've been called heretics by some of the leaders, and the, the rest of the leaders are realizing this is actually biblical. We need to embrace this. This is God. So God is moving. And Holy Spirit's really good at finding his way back in every denomination, right? But we have all those different denominations, those different facets, those different faces, as you will, of Jesus, so that anyone can come to a church somewhere and feel like they're home in that particular season of their life. Amen? So we're going to read out of Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. And today, I don't usually use this version, but we're going to be using the New Literal Translation, okay? So if you want to look those up, that's where that'll be in Bible Hub. You can find them there. So first thing I'm going to do is just going to read the whole thing. And then we're going to chit-chat. Paul says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. And make allowances for each other's fault because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. Come on. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and this is my favorite part. And one God and Father of what? Some? No, Father of all. That's where the premise of this entire teaching today comes from. There's one Father of all. Your daddy's my daddy. My daddy's your daddy. My spiritual daddy, right? My heavenly Father is your heavenly Father. You look to your left or to your right, that is your brother, that is your sister. That is your family. What's super cool about the eternal family of God is it's forever, right? It's forever. It goes on in verse 7. It says, however, 
each one, he has given each one of us a special gift. Turn your neighbor and say, neighbor, guess what? You've been given something special. You've been given something special. You have. It's a special gift. It's something that he gave you. It's something special for you, through you, to you, from him to the body of Christ. That is why the, well, and it says, you have, each one of us has been given a special gift through the generosity of Jesus or Christ. That is why the scriptures say when he ascended to the heights, he led crowds, a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Isn't that a beautiful thought? This is what stood out to me when I was preparing. Our Father. Even when Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, when he said, they said, teach us to pray, what did he say? The first thing he said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He wants us to keep mindful, even in our prayers, that we're not just praying, my Father, my situation, my life, my feelings, but our Father. In 1 John 4, 18, the New Living Translation, the New Literal Translation, it says, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. So if we're afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we've just not fully experienced his perfect love. Who is love? Love is a person, right? We'll get to that. When we understand that God loves us no matter what, we, number one, no longer need to be afraid of our failings. We know that he doesn't love us any less when we mess up. Number two, knowing he loves you in spite of your failings, knowing he loves me, loves us in spite of our failings, actually empowers us to love him more. It empowers us to walk more intimately with him because we know we're safe. We know we're valued in spite of our performance. And it empowers us to be obedient. Number three, God already knows the wrong things that you do and the things that you have done that did not align with his heart. But that does not change your standing with him because your standing is based on who? Jesus, the finished work of Jesus Christ. He said, He has become for us the righteousness from God, our holiness and redemption, right? I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Christ in me is the hope of what? Glory. The kingdom of God is what? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen? Number four. I'm going to share with you a testimony someone told me yesterday. One of my family members, and I won't disclose the name, but this particular individual shared with me um, that they struggled with alcoholism, okay? Now, they'd experienced some very serious trauma when they were young. And in an effort to avoid the pain, an effort to have to have the memories reeling around in the individual's head all the time, they started to drink, to numb out. And probably three to six months ago, probably maybe longer than that, might even have been a year, Father God, we're on a conversation with her, and I'm asking the individual what's going on, and just tell me what's going on. And the Lord says, tell her that I love her anyway. And tell her every time she takes a drink of that particular alcohol to say, I am God's child. I am loved right now. And I am righteous. 
And she did. Every time she took a drink, she said it took three months. Drink, drink, drink. She's still drinking, still drinking, still drinking. She said, I am loved. I am a child of God. I am loved right now, and I am righteous. She said after three months, all of a sudden, it didn't taste good anymore. She dumped the rest out, hasn't had a sip of it since. Hasn't had a sip. And she said it was like I knew that he loved me and I didn't need it anymore to comfort me because the reality of who I was in my identity and being his child comforted me. And I just, it felt, it's like it fell away. I didn't have to try because I tried for years to stop. I didn't have to strive because I strived for years to stop. It was like all of a sudden, every time I made the mistake, I said, I am loved. I am a child of God. I am righteous and I am loved right now. And it f the behavior fell away. And you need to know that our Father loves you right now in the midst of your process, in the midst of your sin, in the midst of the struggles that we just talked about during worship, in the midst of those weeds being pulled, whatever they were for you, he loves you. And he doesn't love you any more or any less than when you become more like him. He loves you the same. But that being true, that's why sometimes... We want to love him even more. We're like, oh, right? Isn't that beautiful? You also need to know that his love is in you. Turn to your neighbor. Say, neighbor, you full of the love of God. <laughs> you are. You're full of the love of God. Isn't that awesome? The scripture says, and this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves you because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. That's why the Holy Spirit was given to you, to fill your heart with his love. It says in the moment of salvation, once you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, it says the love of God has been poured out into your hearts through Christ Jesus our Lord. You have all the love you need to do everything you need to do. And why is this encouraging? We're like, yeah, yeah, love, 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 right? I'll tell you why. Because God is love. Is God good? Yes. I'll answer my own question. Is God awesome? Yes. Can God do anything? Yes. Does God have good plans for you? Yes. Who lives in your heart? God. That's right. Jesus, God, and Holy Spirit are one, by the way. Okay? So when Holy Spirit was poured out in your heart, the love of God was poured out in your heart. And they're one. He's in Jesus. Jesus is in him. So on and so forth. And we're in them. The love of God literally has been poured out in your heart. God himself is love. Therefore, God has been poured out in your heart through Christ Jesus our Lord. Ponder that for just a second. Sometimes when I pray, I pray like he's distant. I pray like he's afar off. But Jesus said the kingdom of God is what? Within you. He's right here, baby. Everything you need, once you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, is on the inside of you in seed form. You just have to hear it or see it and say it or do whatever he shows you. This verse tells us that God gave us the Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit is God in the form of spirit. We know that. The verse tells us that he gave us Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. He gave us himself because he is love. 
So love lives in you. You have the divine love of God himself abiding within you and ready to fill your heart, your mouth, your mind, your atmosphere, your workplace, your home, the store you're in, any place you go in every circumstance where you need him at any time. Just ask him. He's right on the inside of you. I don't know if that fills you with hope, but that sure fills me with hope. He is not equal to any task. He is over any obstacle that might try to stand in the way of what he wants accomplished in your life. I love this idea of God as Father. It says in Ephesians 4, 6, one God and Father of all. And I think the danger for us sometimes as Christians is to become so familiar with him as Father that we forget that he's God. And it says it's important that we know both the severity and the kindness of God, and that we ought to kiss the Son lest he be angry with us. Amen? He is our Father, but he's still God, right? If you're familiar at all with theology, you're familiar with the active wrath of God, God bringing judgment upon people in the Old Testament versus the passive wrath of God, which is a lifting of his hand and giving people the idol God that they choose and then allowing them the consequences that they chose to, so they can learn this God's not as good as the God, the one true God, and I want to go back. Does that make sense? If you're not familiar with that, you can look that up or talk to me about it later. God himself, who is love, lives through all of us, believers, that is. And if you're listening today on the podcast and you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know you've sinned. And I know you've sinned because the law of God is written on your heart and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So welcome to the family. It's just a matter of humbling ourselves and saying, yeah, Lord, I messed up. I know that I didn't live my life perfectly, and I need a Savior just like everybody else in the world. And the only question is, will you humble yourself and ask him to save you? And the moment you do, the moment you say, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned, save me. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your power. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In an instant, you're changed. It says your spirit's made new. You become a new creation, created in Christ Jesus to do the great works that God prepared in advance for you to do. And all of a sudden, you're empowered with holy grace. You're one with the Father, one with the Son, one with the Spirit. After the prototype, Yeshua HaMashiach. And you begin to do great exploits in his name. His fiery and love enables us to be passionate about what he's passionate about. It enables us to love what he loves, to hate what he hates, and to go anywhere and do anything he asks, regardless of the cost to yourself. How do you know if you're filled with this fiery love? You're willing to lay down your life. You're willing to take some risks. You're willing to have people not like you. You're willing to do the hard work. You're willing to stay in something when it makes that cocoon we've talked about, that comfortable cocoon that we like to snuggle up in, when you got to get out of it, I guess, when it sheds that place. And he's calling you under his wings, like Donna said, and you're a little nervous because not, you're not all wrapped up in your cocoon blanket of comfort anymore, but you're stepping out in faith. That's how you know. There's one God and Father of all. He's your Father. He's my Father. He's our Father. He's the Father of the corporate body in this city. 
who is over all. He is in charge. He is in control. This nation is not out of control. God is moving. Has God pulled back his hand in a sense and said, I'll give you the God that you said you wanted? Sure. Love doesn't force itself on people. It says, I, I love you enough to let you choose. But it does this. Okay, let me know when you're ready for me again. I'll be right here. I'm watching. I'm listening. I'm waiting for that single sigh like when the Israelites were in Egypt. It says they groaned in their hearts and the Lord heard them and sent a deliverer immediately. He's just waiting for the groan. I've been praying for some prodigals and I have to giggle. A guy uh, came up to me in Window Rock and I really feel like I'm supposed to pray for you, so tell them a certain situation that's going on. And <coughs> They said, all right, well, I'm going to pray the way my wife prayed for my friend. And this particular individual turned around within a year. And this was the prayer. Lord, hang them over hell, but don't let them fall in. <laughs> and I thought, well... That's one way to pray. I never thought of it. But think of the times in your life when you really cried out to God the most. It was like you thought this thing, this idol, this other source, if you will. An idol is just another source outside of God. Anything that you get something from that is not God. Maybe the attention from your friend or from men or from women, right? That's a source of confidence for me. It's a source of satisfaction. It's a source of encouragement, right? They look at me. They talk to me. They text me. They tell me how great I am at my job. Whatever that is for you, I don't know. Those are idols. Jesus is our source. Father God's our source. He's our source of our identity, our significance, our acceptance, and our safety protection. It says that he is over all. Okay, that's where we were. And he is in all of us and living through all. So when we think about the corporate body of Christ, when we think about even our individual gatherings, right, whether they're in home or in a larger church, that brother and sister sitting next to you that maybe doesn't have the same gift set as you, he's in them. He's living through them. And when they rub up against you wrong, like sandpaper, shaving off some of your, you know, parts that need to be smoothed out a little bit, you got to remember, God's working through them. <laughs> and he really is working all things together for good for those of us that love him and are called according to his purpose, right? And as we continue in perseverance... Because perseverance produces character. That's what comes right before Romans 5.5, 5, that last slide we had. It's the perseverance and staying in relationships, staying in the body, staying connected to people that are like sandpaper to us and irritate us and rub us wrong that actually builds the character. Perseverance produces character. And character, that character of Christ produces the hope. And then it says hope does not disappoint us. In other words, hope does not not appoint us. That means it appoints us. So if we don't stay in the sandpaper places, guess what? We don't reach the place of appointment. Come on, somebody. People ask me all the time, how did you do it? What do you mean, how did I do it? I didn't do it. I just was stubborn enough not to stop pushing. I was stubborn enough to keep getting up. I was stubborn enough to stay in the relationship. 
And it's really not even stubbornness. It was the grace of God because a million times I wanted to walk away. Anybody else been there? Right? So it's like day by day, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be their name. Father, I, I come to you again in recognition of the reality that it is an hour. This is my sister. This is my brother. This is your body. This is the family of God, which I'm a part of. Our Father, which art in heaven. You see things I do not see. You have a perspective I do not have. You know more than I know. Thank you again for reminding me of that. Hallowed be your name. You said if I love if I do not love my brother whom I have seen, how can I love you? So I choose you. I, I hallow your name. I say your name is holy. I choose your way, right? Thy kingdom come. As I stay in the place of sandpaper, re -e, re -e, re -e, and I feel like these places are being scraped off my proverbial soul, if you will, your kingdom come. Righteousness, peace, and joy, because perseverance produces character. The character of God comes, the glory of God comes. Everybody wants glory, but nobody wants to stay in the sandpaper grind. Nobody wants to stay in the olive press, but I'm telling you what, you want glory, stay in the olive press. You want glory, stay underneath that grind. Don't go, don't leave. Stay on that wheel if you were will. I think of a sword, right? When a sword is being sharpened, there's a cement wheel that goes around and around and around like this, and the sparks are flying, and the blacksmith runs the blade of that sword along that wheel over and over, going back and forth, back and forth. And before that, he heats it up in a fire until it looks ridiculous and is all waved like this and looks like it ain't accomplished nothing. And then he hits it with a hammer over and over and over again until it's thin enough. And then he dips it in freezing cold water and it smokes and smolders. And then when it's finally straight and it's finally thin enough and it's finally light enough and it's finally sharp enough, he sticks it back in one more time in that fire. It's got to sit there for a minute. This is how we're forged in the spirit. And it's going to choose. Will it hold the ground, will it hold its shape? Will it hold to what the master shaped it to be, or will it give way? Because if it gives way, it's got to start the process over again. But if it holds its form, then the very last thing that the forger does is he dips it in oil, and it seals it. It catches on fire for a second, but it seals it. It hardens it, and it makes it a weapon fit for warring. Sturdy and hard and unchippable. It's a beautiful prophetic parallel to how we're forged in, in the natural. Sometimes we're going through factual circumstances. We talked about the difference earlier between facts and truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Facts and circumstances are just facts and circumstances that press in on us to help forge us to become the weapon fit for the work that God created us for. Laura said earlier, all things work together for good for those of us that are called according to his purpose. Lord, that, that dark, disgusting, vile, horrible, wrong, unjust thing that happened to me is going to be worked together for my good? Yes. Yes. Because God is that good. God is that powerful. God is that able. Does it make that circumstance or the facts of that situation good? No. But it makes God that good. 
It makes God that able. It makes God that powerful. It makes God that glorious. Come on. His fiery love enables us to be passionate about what he's passionate about, to love what he loves and to hate what he hates. It enables us to go anywhere and do anything he asks, regardless of the cost to us once we finish that forging process. You have a special gift. We talked about this earlier. It's special. It is special. It is unique. But it's for the body. It's not just for us. It's my gift isn't just for me. I could sit home all day and just write books and just do that, and that's it. I could never get out in the body of Christ. I could never be sandpapered. We eat, we eat, we eat, right? For those on the podcast, I'm leaning against the podium like it's sanding me to death. It's a great visual. I could do that. We could do that, right? We could stay in our house, in our prayer closet with, with comfy Jesus and get revelations, and that's all we do all day long and never go out and actually be forged to the weapon fit for the world. But it says he created us in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he planned in advance for us to do. And we're going to get to that in a minute. So you have this special gift. Getting to be close to Christmas time, I'd like to share a story about a friend, which I won't disclose the name. But she told me this story that she couldn't stand it at Christmas time. She would get up every Christmas morning and go downstairs before everybody woke up, and she would unwrap all of her presents, every single one of them, open them all up, had to see, couldn't stand it. Rip, 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 tear, tear, tear. And then she would tape them all back together. Every single one of them. Because she had to know ahead of time what it was. And I laughed so hard when this friend told me that story. I said, that is hilarious. You think I don't have patience. You don't have patience, right? And we would giggle about it. But think about it. What if everybody in the body of Christ was like that about our gifts in God? Because sometimes we're not, right? Sometimes we're nervous. We're like, I don't know. I don't want to mess this up. I don't know if this is really who I am. I don't know if I should step out. I don't know if I should share this word. I don't know if I should prophesy. Boy, I don't know if that vision's from God. I don't know if it is. I don't know if I should go up to that guy in the store and ask him if I could pray for him. I'm feeling a little nervous. What if I mess this up? But what if we were like my friend? And we're like, hee hee, oh, I can't wait to unwrap this, right? And maybe it doesn't work out perfect, and the guy's like, you're crazy. And you're like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, didn't mean to miss it. You know, God bless you, whatever, right? Because we miss it, right? When we're practicing, when we're learning in God. We talked about mustard seed faith last week and how it progresses and how we grow, that we go from faith to faith and glory to glory, and there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. I can remember being in Target one day, and this guy's arm was literally cut off, and the Lord said, I want you to go pray for him, and I was too scared as a young believer. I said, but what if it doesn't grow out? He said, what did I ask you to do? I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Literally said that to the Lord. Now, I had lots of other opportunities to pray, okay? But that time I was too scared, and I went home, and I cried because I wasn't brave enough. I was afraid. I was afraid of what he would say. I was afraid it would hurt his feelings if his arm didn't grow out. I was afraid he would be more discouraged if the miracle didn't happen, right? And so I went home, and I cried, and I cried, and I cried. And I said, Father, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Please give me another chance. Since then, we've prayed for an individual um, who had leukemia, completely healed. Prayed for an individual who was dying of a liver issue and couldn't walk. They told her that she would never walk again, walk to the next day. Prayed for several people who had knee issues, knees completely healed. Okay. Prayed for myself one time, felt my neck grow. Okay. So I've come a long way, but I went from faith to faith and glory to glory. Just we talked about last week with that mustard seed of faith. My faith had to grow. 
I had to go through that proverbial passageway that we discussed to be dropped on the top of that mountain so all could see what's going on. Amen? What if we were like my friend regarding spiritual gifts and our callings in Christ? What if we were that excited where we couldn't wait to open it? When we begin to believe that he actually loves us right where we are at, we will do just about anything for him because we're so, so thankful and grateful. And it's his love for us that graces us to overcome. When we learn we're loved, we're not afraid to be the gift that he made us to be because we recognize the reality. It doesn't matter if I mess this up, right? And that's really one thing we've done with the microphone over here in the prophecy time. We've really grown as a body of Christ, and it's become normative. In fact, the First Nations Church, um, the Cantus, Apostle Fred and um, Denise have implemented that same, the same protocol at their church because they wanted more freedom there. They said, this is the most freedom we've ever seen in any body. And what do you have? Can you send us your script? We'd like to implement it there as well. Now, they added some additional protocols, you know, but they've got a different thing going on there, and they know their people. Um, but I just thought that was real fruit. That was fruit. That's a powerful testimony about what God is doing in our midst. And if you remember when we first started this, how nervous everybody was, and they wouldn't get up, right? Nobody would say anything, and we would only open up the mic like once per service because nobody was, like, getting anything or they were too scared to say it. Do you remember that? <laughs> and now it's four or five times, and sometimes the musicians are like, hold on, let me sing into that. <laughs> let me worship into that. Let me release that sound, right? That's huge. And that's how God wants to move. With his love, there's liberty. When we know we're loved, we're completely liberated to be everything of who we are. Right? Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, or pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church and the body of Christ. That is our responsibility. This will continue. When do I get to stop serving the body, Lord? When do I get to stop equipping your people, Lord? When do I get to stop maturing, Lord? This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith, in the knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete stature of Christ. So it's going to be a minute. I'm just saying, I don't know about you all, but I'm not, we're not quite there. I mean, we haven't raised any dead this week. I mean, my son wasn't breathing when he came out and raised him, right? But for the whole body to be in that place, it's going to be a minute. That's all right. We've got some work to do. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, you don't have to be afraid of the work. Okay? Because it's what? Not by might, not by power. By your spirit, Lord. By your spirit, Lord. We don't have to make it happen. We don't have to muster it up. We just rest in his love for us and simply say what he tells us to say and do what he shows us to do. And he is responsible to bring the manifestation. He is responsible to bring the fruit. He is responsible to bring the healing. We are responsible to be available and to do the work that he tells us to do, which is to say it and obey it. 
I was thinking this morning how it's literally our highest honor to be those who are adopted into literally the family of God. When you think about that, it's like, psh, kind of mind-blowing. We are adopted into the family of the creator of heaven and earth. And then we're commissioned to invite others to come and experience the same awesome, healing, freeing, liberating, glorious, power-moving, explosively supernatural love that we experienced. I mean, we have the best jobs in the world, right? The most awesome family, literally, in all of the universe. <laughs> We're supernatural beings. It is such a gift to watch God touch people's heart and to fill them and baptize them with the Holy Spirit. And to finally learn how to hear God for themselves. And whatever special gift God has given you, that is the work that you're called to to bring his kingdom here on earth in you and then through you and then help others to do the same. So it goes back to that song we were talking about. We are family. And we're building a bigger family, right? And we're helping be midwives, if you will, while new people are birthed in the family of God. Breathe. I know you feel like you can't do this, but I promise you're going to make it through this. Push, push, right? It's coming. It's almost there. You're going to be all right. I promise you're not going to die. Here's a nice cold cloth. Here's some water. Don't you go to sleep right now. What are you doing? No, you cannot quit. We got to finish this thing. If you stop, they die. I had another friend call me this last week and I love her to pieces. She's boohooing. I don't want to leave my church. I'm going to miss everybody. And it's going to be so sad. And I really don't want to go where God's telling me to go. And they've got to move and they've got to move to this other place. And I love her to pieces. She's one of my favorite people. I said, so and so, this is what I'm hearing right now. If you do not leave, people will die apart from Christ. And she started crying. She goes, I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that. Because her eyes were on her cocoon, not on the wings of God being around her while she went. And she needed a mind sh shift, a mindset shift so that she could have the courage she needed to go do what God asked her to do, knowing that she's still protected. She's still safe. And the family of God in a spiritual sense is still with her. And that the Lord would bring her from something to something, and she was going to be okay. And he did. Your special gift is for the family of God. S for seasons, usually, it's for, the corp it's for an internal family, a small family like this gathering. As you mature, he begins to send you out to the corporate body of Christ, and you better go. Because when you don't go, the anointing stops to flow. Then eventually, as you mature, he sends you out to non-believers, too. It's both in, not just the corporate body. But he sends you out to the non-believers, and he prepares you to begin to equip the saints to do the work that God prepared in advance for them. And if you don't go, the anointing stops the flow. The anointing stops flowing. It doesn't come. It doesn't come. Why would it go where you're not going to go? What's he going to do? Let it sit in the swamp and fester and get stench and stinky? Swamps are nasty. You ever been in a swamp? You step in the bottom of them, you get muck up to here. Cattails everywhere. 
it stinks like muck and mud and mire and ugh, because it doesn't have an outlet. No clean water flows through it. It all stops and stays right there. And the moment we stop going where God tells us to go and we stop going to that next level from the local body to the corporate body to the lost, we become mucky and yucky. Because there's no life in the swamp. Your body, your special gift is for the body of Christ. Initially a local body while you grow and you heal. Then to the corporate body so they can be equipped to do everything God called them to do. And then to the lost so that the family can grow. Families are diverse. Families are messy. Amen. Families stick together. Families fight together. Right? Who are you going to call? Don't say, I need somebody who's going to say Ghostbusters. I said, I was thinking, and don't you say Ghostbusters. Who are you going to call when your back is in a corner? That's right. You're going to call the family of God. Some, in a natural sense, sometimes you'll call your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister. But when you're really in a pinch, you're in a spiritual battle, you're, sometimes you're, call, you're oftentimes calling the family of God before you call your natural family. Because y'all been through some stuff together. They have the same values you got. They wore the same way you wore. They love the same way you love. They give grace the same way you give grace. And you know they're not going to be judging you in the midst of the mess, on the midst of the battlefield. They're not going to be doing friendly fire bullets at your back. But they're going to have you like this, back to back. Donna, come up here real quick. Come on. Quick, 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 quick. They're going to have your back. Stand back to me. Your back to mine. Turn around the other way. They're going to have your back, Right? Bullets may be coming at me, and she's going to be standing behind me interceding, right? That's how it goes. She's got my back. I've got her back if she needs to call on me. Laura's got my back. Brett has my back. I got their backs, right? That's what family does. So we all have blind spots, right? And sometimes when we're pushing forward, we can't see what's behind us. We can't see what's coming from the side. But we got family who's standing there watching going, uh, sis, Laura does this with me all the time. Hey, Steph, by the way, um, hello, 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 hello. I need you to stop pioneering for 10 seconds and hear what I have to say. Okay, yes, ma'am. Thank you for that news, right? So she sees a spiritual torpedo coming at us from behind, and I'm like, can you light it up already? She's like, yeah, 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 we got you. No worries. Let's pray. Vata, vata. It's done in the spirit. It's taken care of. Families fight together. Families sometimes have fights amidst themselves. Sometimes we fight with each other, right? Especially when you got different special gifts. <laughs> you know? You get a, a group of five-fold ministers in a room. You got an apostle, prophet, an evangelist, a shepherd, and a teacher. And you're looking at a situation, and the apostle says, I think we should forge forward, right? The prophet says, I don't know. I see a lot of sin here, and this isn't right, and that's not right. And I'm not sure if we should do this, that, or the other thing. But I'm telling you what, this is where they're missing it, and this is where they're hitting it. We need to get that in order. And the shepherd says, and the evangelist says, well, yeah, we do, but it's more important that we get them saved. Right? And the shepherd comes along and says, you guys are horrible people. We just need to love them and comfort them and encourage them, put our arms around them. They just need to know the compassion and the love of God. Like, calm down, ape. That's our joke, our five-fold joke, ape, apostle, prophet, evangelist. And the teacher comes in and says, oh, we can solve this easily. I just need to sit down and share my 4,000-page book on how this all works with them and tell them all the details of why this isn't going to work and where this is going to lead them. 
And if they don't settle down and understand all these things, where they'll be in three years. And trust me, when they think about this logically, they're going to land where we are. Right? So sometimes contention happens in the body of Christ, not because there's ill intent or malicious intent, right? But because the gifts function differently and they have different callings. There's a special gift that you have that God placed in the midst of other special gifts. That's why it says we prophesy in part and we know in part, right? But when we come together, we get the whole picture, the whole perspective of God. Um, Lonnie, Donna, Brent, and Laura, come up here real quick. Come on, come on, come on. That's four, right? Quick, quick, quick. All right, we're going to do the same thing we did, except we're going to stand in a circle with our backs in the middle. Okay? Okay, come here. Yep, turn around. Come over here, Lonnie, Donna. Turn around the other way so your back, yeah, your back in the middle. Turn around. Okay, now... Not only do we have each other's backs, but we have a 360-degree view of what's going on. Okay, so when you're in the family of God and the f- there's a five-fold ministry in operation, we're seeing all the perspectives and we're getting the full counsel of the Lord for every situation. Does that make sense? Okay, there's safety in numbers. That's why it says there's safety in a multitude. Thank you so much. Go ahead and sit down. Give them a hand, you guys. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> There's safety in a multitude of counselors, right? Amen. So don't panic when the body of Christ fights among itself, right? You also hear, um, I'll call them spiritual negative Nellies say this. The body of Christ can't even get along. They're always fighting with each other. There are so many problems in the body of Christ. I mean, why would I join the church when they can't even get along with themselves? Why would you join? Because if you don't, you're going to hell. That's why, number one. That's why you would join. Number two, because you ain't perfect, and if we weren't fighting before you got here, guess what? We'll be fighting when you arrive. Number three, because we need you. The world needs you on that wall, in your position, doing the thing that God called you to do. And without you, we're not whole. We don't have the fullness of the heart of God. There's someone, somewhere, someplace, some city, some individual that's not going to hear the gospel because you don't do what God's called you to do. That's why. Families are always changing, right? And in the world, in our cocoon world mentality, we want nothing to change. We want it all to stay the same. Anybody besides me or are you guys way too holier than I am? Okay, have you ever been there and you're like, yes, we got this down, this feels normal, this is how we do life, and the Lord says, I'm doing a new thing, do you perceive it? And I'm like, no, I do not perceive it, I wish that you would keep me in the loop. (laughs) He's like, daughter, I'm keeping you in the loop right now. I am informing you that I'm doing a new thing and I'm asking you to shift, are you willing to shift, are you too comfortable to shift now, are you going to stay in this cocoon? Because every new movement of God, frankly, is a cocoon. Every new revelation he gives you becomes eventually a cocoon, and he'll call you out of it. Not that you don't continue to live in that revelation, but then he presses you on to the next thing. And it becomes over and over and over again, will you follow me? Will you still follow me? Will you follow me again? Will you follow me again? Will you follow me again? Families have great and joy-filled seasons with the Lord. And we have hard, battle-ridden, grief-filled seasons in the Lord. But we endure them together. 
We comfort and encourage one another. We spur one another on to good works. When we're on that battlefield and you took your last hit with a sword against your shield of faith and you feel like you're going to pass out and you can't take one more blow, your neighbor next to you lends you their shield of faith and knocks the enemy right in the face. He's like, are you okay? Come on. Lift up that sword. You can do this. Don't give up now. We're almost there. We need each other. We need each other. Amen. Through it all, we are still family. And families stick together. Other people come and go, but family is forever. And the family of God is forever. You can't choose your family. God chooses your family for you. And sometimes he will send you from this gathering to that gathering or do this or do that for a season because they've got something you need. But God formed you in your mother's womb, knowing who you are, who you would be, who you were, what you would go through, and the gift he created you to be for his body and said, yep, this one right here, that child, that's the mom, that's the dad. These are the circumstances. Boy, I really don't want them to have to go through that. But this is what's going to forge them. This is what's going to form them. This is how I'm going to work that out for good. Even though this world is full of wickedness and that was wrong and that's unjust and I know the enemy means some harm, this is how I'm going to turn it around. This is how I'll use it for the, my name's sake, for the glory of my name, for the glory of my son, for the goodness of that child. This is how I'm going to work it all together for good. Yep. I can even take that, Satan. I can even take that. And I'm just going to use it to ready and steady them for the thing I created them to do and the gift I created them to be for the world to see. You were created for a purpose. And that verse, it's all in that verse. It says we're created to build up the body of Christ, not tear it down, not point out all its flaws, to build up the body of Christ. And that doesn't mean that we don't speak the truth in love. We, we do that. But we're not donkeys going around kicking down everything. You are created to carry the glory of God. Christ in you is literally the hope of glory. The love of God's been poured out in your heart. You were created to be an ark of the king of kings and the lord of lords and the god of the universe. You were created to be a light in a dark world where others don't know who he is. They don't understand love. They don't understand his ways. They don't have any hope. And they see you and they're like, why is he smiling? Why is she smiling? Why is she not afraid? Why is he not afraid? What do they have that I don't have? And something in them is drawn to the light of God in you. You created for the purpose of participating in the divine nature of God through Christ Jesus and the finished work of the Son of God by the power of the Spirit to bring kingdom order everywhere you go. It's, he told Joshua, he said, everywhere the sole of your foot treads, I have given you success. It says we've been given power to bind and to loose. It says we're seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus and that Jesus himself is of the Melchizedek anointing. He was both a king and a priest. You are in that bloodline. Once you are come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, you are both a king 
and a priest. You're seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And now when he tells you to say a thing, you're in his bloodline. And when you say it and it's in alignment with a word or a rhema word from God, guess what? It creates something in the atmosphere and it shifts things. Because your father is creator judge. And when he tells you to, he, he told Jeremiah, do you remember this? He said, he said, you will build up and you will tear down. You will uproot and you will overthrow. How could he say that? Jeremiah had a revelation that he was in the Melchizedek anointing. He was the Melchizedek bloodline. He understood he was a king and a priest and a prophet of God. When you sit, when you understand you sit in the seated place with Christ Jesus, everything he tells you to do, say already has all the power and the grace and the anointing necessary to bring it to pass because it's a word from him. So whether it's building something up or tearing down an altar, it, the same power and grace is upon you to do it because it came from him. Kings and priests. Priests connect the people to God. Priests minister to the Lord. You have the anointing, you have the grace, you have the power, you have the love of God, the very love of God within you to help people encounter him everywhere you go. If you're willing to say what he tells you to say and do what he shows you to do, it's that simple. You don't have to know the person's history. You don't have to be friends with the person. You don't have to be from their culture, from their nation, from their workplace. If God tells you to go say something and you know you've got a good word from the Lord that's going to draw them to him, you just walk up and say, hey, would it be all right if I share something with you? Nobody's going to say no. And then they've given you permission, so do it. Because there's agreement there. And you say what he tells you to say, and you watch the love of God shift them and draw them and change them and activate their spirit, man or woman, and draw it to him. You are created to invite others into the family of God and to help disciple them. Ultimately, discipling someone really is as simple as teaching them how to hear the voice of God for themselves and how to see what it is God's doing and then encouraging them until they're brave enough to respond is with a yes, a surrendered yes every time. That's all discipleship is. Pointing them back to the word. Does it align with the word? Does it align with the word? Does it align with the word? Because if it doesn't, guess what? It's demonic. It says rightly divide the word of God. Because even the, de the demons believe that God is real and that Jesus is the son of God. But rightly divide the word of God. Teach them to live lives worthy of the calling. That's how we started out today. Remember that? Paul said, I beg of you, I beg of you, live lives worthy of the calling. Why was that his heart's desire for them? I believe it was his heart's desire for them because Paul had a revelation of the glory and the goodness of God. And he understood that the more you lay your life down for him, the greater the measure of glory you get to participate in. And the more of his love you get to experience and the better life is, no matter what the facts around you look like. Because we know Paul was persecuted. 47 men, 40 men once fasted wanting to kill him while he was in prison, but the Lord surrounded him with 470 soldiers and said, I will take you where I have destined for you to go, and they will not stop it. He was absolutely surrendered. And the glory of God followed him everywhere he went. 
So I want to talk just for a second, real quick, run to these last few slides about what your function in the body is. Sometimes we get saved and then we're like, well, I don't know what I'm created to do. I don't know how I'm supposed to function in the body of Christ. Like, what does this look like? What is my role? Who am I? I don't seem to fit here. I don't seem to fit there, right? So I just want to say your, des your design reveals your function. So, for example, take this coffee cup, for example. I've seen people play golf with coffee cups, right? They put it on the other side of the room and they get their little putter and their ball and they go like this and they hit the ball and it goes into the cup in their office and they're all excited and they're having a good time. But it doesn't fulfill the fullness of the purpose of the cup because it's not using the handle, right? I've seen people put coffee cups on their desk and they throw all their pens and pencils in there. It does hold pens and pencils. It's a great, great for holding pens and pencils. You can always find them. They're wide, right? But it doesn't utilize the handle. And then for those of you who are coffee lovers, you will understand the tone of my voice. I've also had a fantastic cup of coffee in a coffee mug with that beautiful little handle. And as I bring it to my lips and smell the aroma and drink it deeply, I thank Jesus for the coffee bean. And then I realize suddenly, this is the purpose of a coffee cup. This cup was made to be formed to my hand as I enjoy the aroma of these coffee beans and drink this beautiful liquidy water of roasted bean juice that comes alongside Jesus to empower me for my day. <laughs> I'm joking, of course. But you understand what I'm saying, right? It could be used for all these other things, but you know your function in the body by how you're formed, how you're designed. And the best way to figure out how you're designed or what your function is, just start doing stuff. You don't know. It does not matter. Join the class. Go to this. Go to that. Join the prayer team. Join the worship team. Whatever it is. Try things. You can't miss God. And eventually you're going to go, ooh, this is a good fit. And you're going to feel like that coffee cup with the hot liquid inside of you. And the person's holding that, you know, little handle on you just right. And you're like, ooh, God's got me right in his hand. This just feels like my sweet spot. I love this. And when you find that sweet spot, you figured out who you are. Amen? The lie is that I'll never be able to do what God called me to do because of what this person or that person did to me or didn't do to me or the doors that were shut in my life. God is in control. Look at Joseph. Look at what he endured despite his brothers. And what they did to him. He was literally sold into slavery, thrown in a pit. They told his dad he was dead, faked his death, got blood all over these clothes, went and showed their dad. So he shows up in Pharaoh's country as a slave. And he just kept functioning as who he was. Joseph was a leader. And there were people that got jealous because he, frankly, wouldn't sleep with them. Potiphar's wife. She was mad. He's like, ooh, he's fine. Yes, he was. That glory of God was all over him. But he wa she wanted to be with him in an inappropriate way. And when she said no, when he said no, she got mad. 
And then she came at him. And there will be people as you're on your path to your purpose who you will be staying in your place of purity. And because you won't compromise with them, they get mad at you and they try to throw you under the proverbial bus and say something that isn't true. She lied on him. And he went to prison for it because her husband believed her. (laughs) Did Joseph get bitter? He might have for a minute. But did he stay bitter? No, he didn't. He sure didn't. You know how we know he wasn't bitter? Because he was in the prison, and he saw the baker. He saw that they were sad, the two, the other two that were in the prison with him. He noticed someone else's harm and hurt and sadness. And he put that above his own, and he continued to be the leader that he was, and he served them. And he may not have known it then, but that was his pathway out of the prison back to the palace. And the same thing happened when his brothers finally came and the the Lord lifted his hand, if you will, off of Israel and their idolatry and the brothers who sold him into slavery. And there was a drought and a famine. But Joseph had been positioned near Pharaoh and returned to the palace and prepared the world for this situation. And they didn't recognize him because he had been promoted to the platform that God had purposed him to hold. And back when Joseph had that dream, he didn't know that that platform was for his brothers, but it was. When he initially had the dream, he said, oh, y'all bowed down before me, and I was on this tall sheaf, and you weren't, right? So I can imagine in a practical sense how that might appear. I was awesome, and you were not, right? But he didn't understand the pathway to his purpose and how he was going to get there and everything he'd have to work through to arrive where he was. And they didn't understand the dream initially. The reason God allowed him to be exalted was because he went low. And then when the brothers returned, what did he say to them? Don't be upset with yourselves. What you intended for my harm, I know that you intended it for my harm. Let's be honest here, okay? So we didn't deny the fact. I know you meant to take me out. (laughs) But I don't want you to be upset with yourselves because God, God intended this for my good. And because I yielded to him and I surrendered to him, it actually formed me to be the weapon fit for the work that he created me for. And I would not be who I am right now, today, without having persevered through all that. Amen? I want to tell a quick little story. Yeah, we're good on time. If you believe God's in control, you're an optimist. If you believe God is not in control, you're a pessimist. I'm going to tell you a little story about a pessimistic parachutist that I heard from a good friend from Gateway. I love uh, pastor there, Pastor Rob. He said these guys go up in a plane, and uh, they go about 10,000 feet up, and they're going to, jump out, and the one guy says to the other guy, I I bet we don't even make it up to 10,000 feet. Well, they make it up to 10,000 feet. And he's explaining to him, when you get up to 10,000 feet, you're going to take your right hand on your left shoulder here, and you're going to pull that ripcord. It's going to release the chute, and you'll be fine. But don't panic if it doesn't open. You're going to take your left hand, put it up to your right shoulder, and you're going to pull the emergency ripcord, and it will release. And you'll be all right, and you'll land in the field, and there will be a truck down there waiting for you to pick you up. So they get up there, 
Yeah, and they'll take you back to the base, right? So this pessimist parachutist got on the plane, said to the guy beside him, I'll bet this plane can't even get up to 10,000 feet. Well, it did, so he decided he's going to jump out. And he took his right hand, and he pulled the chute cord, and it didn't open, and he said, I knew it wouldn't open. He takes, so then he takes his left hand, he puts it on his other shoulder, and he pulls the emergency rip cord, and it doesn't open either. And he said, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. I was going to die if I jumped out of this plane. <laughs> and the last things his friends heard him saying as he was falling past them, because someone without a chute falls faster than someone with a chute, right? The last thing they heard him say was, I bet that truck's going to be late too. <laughs> Jesus said, when you pray, I will give you anything that you ask in my name. You don't have to pray to me, but pray to the Father. Because I go to the Father. You can pray to him, right? But I'll give you anything you ask for in my name. Ask me for whatsoever you will, and I will give you whatsoever you say, not whatsoever you pray. We are in the decade of pay, and what you say is so important. So if you've been saying some negative things about people around you, some negative things about yourself, some negative things about God, just quickly, Father, right now, I repent in Jesus' name. And I ask that you would take every word back from the bank of Satan that I have put there, and you would send it before the throne of your son Jesus for immediate judgment by fire. And I ask for forgiveness. And I asked that you would open up the windows of heaven and pour out every word of destiny from your libraries of heaven that you've spoken over me, that you've spoken over my family, that you've spoken over everyone in my life. You would activate them now in Jesus' name. We all say things sometimes, but it's important to take them back when they're not of him. Amen. So I'm going to talk about the gifts real quick. Let me flip through these. I'll flip you back. There's motivational gifts, ministry gifts, and manifestation gifts, okay? We're just going to go through this quickly. Motivational gifts are the gifts that determine why you do the things you do. This is what motivates me to serve the Lord. This is what motivates me to serve other people. There's a diversity of gifts. This is how God works in our lives to shape our perspective on life and to motivate us towards his word and actions. It's an inner working of the Holy Spirit to move us forward in Christ. And different types of people in different gift sets and different callings and functions in the body require different gifts. So think about Paul, okay? How did the Lord motivate Paul? From a very young age, he was raised at a Benjamite. He was trained by the who's who in the church. He knew every scripture inside and out. He was trained all day long. In fact, the Lord let him go so far to become a very tyrannical, murderous, religious man. And then one day, he's on the road to Damascus, and he shows up in an encounter with him and says, why are you kicking against the goads? It is I you are persecuting, Jesus Christ. And he causes him to literally go blind. That's what it took for Paul, for Saul to become Paul, Right? So we hear stories sometimes of these drastic situations and drastic experiences with the Lord. I think sometimes we envy them, but we forget that those are probably the harder cases. <laughs> and it's probably a good thing if you're not having to be encountered with the Lord that way. <laughs> it might mean 
Your heart's a lot softer than Saul's. Right? Good job. I teased my kids because I heard the audible voice of God, and I said, everybody gets all excited about that. I said, he was rebuking me for having an attitude about other church members. (laughs) Literally was. All I heard was, no one takes my life from me. And it was the most loving tone, but it bubbled up from within me. And I didn't know at the time that it was scripture. And I didn't find out it was a rebuke till three months later. I was so excited. I jumped up and down. I praised the Lord. I was like, ooh, he finally talked to me. And I was like, oh, I'm in trouble. Sorry, Lord. <laughs> right? So at the moment of salvation, every single one of us receives one of the seven motivational gifts. Prophecy, serving, teaching, exhorting, giving, organizing, or mercy. These gifts are God's grace. They shape how we as believers view our life, how we relate to others, and how we impact the body of Christ. A motivational gift can be compared to sort of like a set of eyeglasses from God. It determines our perspective and how we see people. It's the particular lens with which we look at everything. So a prophet reveals truth by exposing sin so that the fellowship with God can be restored or maintained. A servant demonstrates love by meeting practical needs, usually through tangible work. A teacher discovers and validates truth so that the church maintains accuracy. An exhorter encourages Christians to grow spiritually by discipling, teaching, and counseling others. A giver conserves and shares resources in order to meet practical needs. An organizer carry out <laughs> I have to laugh. An organizer carries out projects by recruiting workers. Sound like anyone you know? Organizing tasks and delegating responsibilities. I was laughing when I was reading these. I thought they're all gonna call me out now. A merciful person or a mercy person demonstrates God's love and compassion by responding to the hurting. God works through the spiritual gifts in the body of Christ to help the church grow and remain healthy. God's grace empowers prophets to warn believers of sin and servants to guard against slothfulness and teachers to steer us away from heresy. He empowers exhorters to watch out for hopelessness and givers to stand against selfishness and organizers to ward off chaos and mercy givers to demonstrate God's tender love. Each person's behavior will vary according to the factors of temperament, background, age, gender, culture, and circumstances. And it is not unusual for those of us who share the same motivational gift to demonstrate similar characteristics. Most often we feel most comfortable around those who have similar motivation gifts. But as believers mature, we may and should and often do commonly associate with other motivational gifts. This doesn't mean that their motivational drive has changed. It just means they've matured enough to operate in the other six. But they do it intentionally and they do it on purpose. So the old adage, this is just the way God made me, doesn't work. Sorry. No, that's the prophet and me talking. No, 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 no. Find a way 
to die and pick up your cross daily because we've all had to do it. And it's the best thing you can do for yourself. It's the best thing you can do for your children and your legacy. It's the best thing you can do for your eternal inheritance and reward when you arrive and see Jesus face to face. And it's the best thing you can do for the corporate body of Christ. In the beginning of that verse we read in the beginning, Paul actually kind of tells on himself. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, 3 and 4, because of the privilege and the authority that God has given me, which is like an apostolic prophet, I'm called to bring order, called to call right and wrong and keep the doctrine straight, right? He says, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Take an, in other words, take an honest assessment of yourself. And he goes on to say that. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given you. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, say, I am special, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we belong to each other. Say, I belong to the body. You belong to the body. You are special, but you belong to the body. We need you. The body needs you. All right. There's also ministry gifts. There's differences in administrations. This is how God works with what a believer does to serve and to meet the needs of others within or without or outside of the body of Christ, okay? These can be found in 1 Corinthians 12.5, Ephesians 4.11 through 13, and 1 Corinthians 12.5 if you want to read those. Ministry gifts are the tools that God uses to build up the church. They're the practical, essential, can-do type of gifts, such as those described in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. For what? The perfecting of the saints. Say, get, say neighbor, you're supposed to be perfected. <laughs> Don't stop short. You're real close. <laughs> I'm teasing, right? We're not going to say you've got a long way to go. <laughs> real encouraging. You're close. You're close. You're almost there. That's right. Mm -hmm, just a little further. That's right. So he did this for the perfecting of the saints for what? Listen to the four. For the work of the what? Ministry. The entire purpose of your maturation process in Christ is for the work of the ministry. That's why. So we're all called to ministry. Whatever sphere of influence that's in, I don't know. It could be arts and media or arts and entertainment. Could be business. It could be religion mountain in the church church, right? It could be in government. It could be in education. It could be in families and neighborhoods. But it's for ministry, period. And it's for the edifying of the body of Christ. Until, like we said, we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Mm -mm -mm. Under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. These ministry gifts are often confirmed by ordination. They're recognized by others. Paul told Timothy not to neglect the gift that was given to him by the laying on of hands, right? Laura and I were um, ordained by uh, Patricia King, right? She laid hands on me, said, I ordain you as an apostle. She said, you've been functioning prophetically, but you're beginning to shift into that role, right? The purpose of these office gifts is to do the work to equip the body. That's the purpose, which means a local body and the corporate body 
and the body all across the world. You have a metron you've been given, and a sphere you've been called to. And every time God opens a door, just say yes and go. This is important. We skip down a little bit. It says, first, our apostles. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean first place, though oftentimes it does, because we take the hit to the face first every time. We're seeing our nation come into a place now, and, and really even those in the body of Christ, where we're starting to see a lot of uh, people be persecuted, right? A lot of trials and sicknesses and deaths and different things happen. That's been going on in my life for 12 years. Okay? I had to go first. Why? So that when this happened to the body of Christ, I could be nice about it. I could be comforting. I could be encouraging. I could be a giver. I could be a servant. I could be loving. I could be gracious. And then I can tell them how God got me through it and how he'll get them through it. Right? How to overcome. So somebody has to be willing to go first. And I said, here I am. Lord, send me. Second are prophets. So sometimes we think if we know the right thing, we know what's right and we know what's wrong, we don't have to go through the process. But we do. The prophet's got to go through the process just like the apostle does. They come right behind them, take the same hits, take the same persecutions, take the same experiences, have to go through the same process of wholeness and healing. It says third are teachers, right? And you can watch in a body or in a region or in a church, this is how things happen. It trickles right down to fivefold. It says, then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown tongues. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets or teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? So on and so forth. He says, of course not, exclamation point. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. In other words, don't, so don't stay there. What he's really saying is you should desire to be an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a shepherd, and a teacher, the ones that are sent to equip the saints to do the work that God prepared for them to do. Don't stay just in the fun miraculous or in the fun healing or in these other supernatural gifts that are really, woohoo, glory dust. They're good and they're awesome, but it's actually preparation for you to be sent in power. It's preparation for you to come to the fullness of your gift and do the thing that God's called you to do. And if you don't, you miss out the most, but other people miss out on the gift that you are too. Paul's saying, press, press on in your faith, in the process of your faith growing until you get to the point of being one who is most helpful to the body of Christ, a servant of all, a person who's willing to work, to build up others, to do whatever the Father asks of them, whatever the Father's purpose is in Christ, being willing to carry more glory or weight. The word glory literally means weight. As you persevere through your process, you get stronger in the spirit and you're able to carry more weight. It's not so hard anymore because you've been there, done that, okay? So like, for example, we got our ED with Coggle is in transition and I've done events now, large events for 13 years, right? So. He's transitioning. He has to transition for financial purposes, and it's awesome. We're celebrating him. We love him. We're so thankful he was with us. But all of a sudden, we don't have anybody to coordinate this event for Monday, right? I'm like, no problem. God said, just do it. I was like, okay. Literally, it took me three days of planning over a month's time. 
because I've done it so many times. I know how it works. I've been prepared. It's no big deal. That's like if Laura has to read through a financial sheet. It takes her 15 minutes. It takes me 17 days. Okay? Because I've been under the weight of that many, many, many times. So I have a faith level for it now that's different than it was back when I started. And that might be different than yours because you haven't been doing it for 13 years. Right? So it's easy for me. And we're maxed out. Every single ticket's sold out. We're at capacity. Amen. Praise the Lord. Right? So he's just saying, press into the place of the high calling to be an apostle, to be a prophet, to be an evangelist, to be a shepherd, to be a teacher, one that's being willing to be sent. Okay? All right. And the final one is manifestation gifts. Okay? There's diversities of operations. This is how God works through us as believers in any given situation to demonstrate his supernatural power. Those who've been on any of the prophetic prayer journeys with us and you've gone to the different cities or states or on assignment with me in the marketplace to pray for specific business leaders, you've seen this in operation, okay? Manifestation gifts are the supernatural demonstrations of Holy Spirit's presence and power. The Spirit of God is the source of these gifts, Amen. And they're manifested for the benefit of others to bring God glory, to open doors that were shut so the kingdom could be advanced, to sometimes even open doors of philanthropy and finance that the body needs so the gospel can continue to go forth, right? Or to open a door for an apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, or teacher in a specific sphere of influence in a specific city so that, like we were talking about earlier, that heaven, that open heaven can be established over that place, that person, or that sphere. Okay. Manifestation gifts are supernatural demonstrations of Holy Spirit's presence and power. The Spirit of God is the source of these gifts. We said that. So that others, for the benefit of others, so that they can bring glory to God. So this is the verse. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Turn to your neighbor and say, my spiritual gift is for you. That's right. It's for you. It's for somebody else. So we can help each other, right? To one person, the spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. How many of y'all need wise advice sometimes? To another, the same spirit gives a message of special knowledge. Come on, somebody. The same spirit gives great faith to another person. And to someone else, the one spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another person the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. And still, another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages while another is given the ability to interpret what was said. That's powerful. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all of these gifts. So that does two things. Number one, it doesn't make it keeps us humble. It wasn't of me, it was of him. But it was good. And it was glorious, and boy, it was fun to be used by God. Amen? And it keeps us out of competition with one another because we know it wasn't from you. It was from him. So I'm not in competition with how God decides to work through you. I can celebrate the way God worked through you because it was God working through you. It wasn't you. And I can celebrate you and how you yielded to him because I want to yield to him too. Amen? Come on, I'm just saying. Yeah. All right. So the value of knowing your purpose, function, and your gifts. Knowing that each Christian has gift sets that are unique, valuable, and needed in the body of Christ gives us as believers purpose in God's kingdom. 
If the whole body were an eye, think about this, okay? You ever seen that monster movie, Mikey? He's just an eyeball. He's walking around with them two skinny legs. He's got them skinny little arms, and he can't do much. Imagine if he was just an eyeball, and he had to roll around. Mikey wouldn't be very scary, and he wouldn't be very helpful. He couldn't function, right, if he was just an eyeball, right? Where would the hearing be? We wouldn't be able to hear. We'd just see everything, right? And sometimes when we're young in Christ, we're like, everybody's not like me. They don't understand God. They're not functioning like I function. They don't hear like I hear, right? And the enemy kind of comes in and tries to puff us up in pride, and he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Pride comes before a what? A fall. Knowledge puffs up, but love does what? Edifies. It's one thing to know thing. It's another thing to know a thing. Be motivated in your knowledge and in your understanding by the love of God. It protects you. protects us. Right? If the whole body were hearing, where would the smelling be? Where would a discernment be? If, we only, if it was only about hearing God... Right? If it was only about hearing the word, if it was only about hearing, we wouldn't have any discernment in the spirit. We wouldn't be able to see the tax coming or the demons coming or to know if a person is safe or not safe. And if they were all one member, where were the body? If everybody was like you, if everybody was like me, how would we display the manifest wisdom of God or the multi faceted wisdom of God? How would we put the, the multifaceted wisdom of God on display? What makes the body of Christ so beautiful is that we're so diverse and so different and still so purposefully and intentionally unique and effective at what he's calling us to do at any given moment, in any given year, in any given time in history, accomplishing the very purpose for which he sends us forth. It's miraculous. So the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. I mean, you ever gotten something in your eye? Yeah, your tears, here they come. You can't see anything, everything fogs up. You can't function at all, and you're like trying to hold back your eyelid, right? Blink a little bit. Maybe get some water in there. Where would we be without our hands? You can't say, you know. And it goes on, it says, I have no need of you, nor, again, can the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. What's the head going to do, roll around and crush its nose every, and get dirt in its eyes? No, it needs a spine, it needs legs, it needs a torso, it needs feet to carry it around and keep it on balance so it's not getting all bruised up. There should be no schism in the body. But the members should have the same care one for another. As you demonstrate the love of God through your gift, your special gift that he gives you, you will experience fulfillment and great joy. But if you find yourself thinking you don't need the other parts of the body, you got to check your heart for pride. And really, pride's just a manifestation of wounds that are trying to be covered up and protected, kept safe. So there's no shame. There is no shame. We've all been there. Psh. Oh, my gosh. Have you heard some of the things I said to people in the beginning of ministry? Lord Jesus, I wish I could take them all back. I've actually gone back to several people and apologized. 
As you mature in your understanding of spiritual gifts and persevere in your faith and the character of Christ being developed in you, then you will learn to be available to God and ready to participate in his divine nature as he works through the gifts and the special gift he placed in you. He gave you, and you can be much more fruitful. You can be much more effective, and you can avoid spiritual exhaustion by staying in your lane. You got to know who you are to stay in your lane. Amen? Allowing others to function in their role, right? I'm talking to myself here. Because the temptation for an apostle is to do it all. Because you have to do it all at first because you're alone all the time. So don't do it. Let it sit idle and let someone else pick it up. Right? And allowing others to function in the roles instead of feeling like you have to control everything or I have to control everything and, and everyone else around us. It's so, so freeing. Think about the people in your life and the times in your life when God called you to do something and you thought you were going to do it alone, but other people came around you and helped you with it. Wasn't it more fun? Wasn't it much faster? Sometimes, right? But wasn't it more memorable? And didn't it turn out better? Yeah, it always turns out better. Sometimes... We have options, right? Sometimes we go through seasons and it seems like there's no one there to fill a specific void. And Laura can probably remember days when we were building here. And we're like, Psh, we don't have a worship leader. What are we going to do? Well, I don't know. We'll use videos, right? And then Brent shows up on our door. Thank you, Jesus. Right, Brent jokes and says, I was kind of washed upon the shores of Shekinah from the lost world of wherever I was. <laughs> right? And there are times when there's no one in the midst of what we're doing to fulfill the function that we're looking for. But in those moments, can we trust God? Yes. Is God still good? Yes. In those moments, there's several options. God will either... Give someone in the midst the grace to do it for a season. Or he'll grant us the grace to trust him to wait until he sends someone. Or sometimes he'll send us out to go and find someone so we can get an impartation or recruit them to come and join us for the work that we're doing. Amen? But he always, always, always meets the need so we have everything we need in our time. I love this last part of this verse from that first verse we shared out of 1 Corinthians 12. Paul goes on in that final verse and he says, but let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Best of all. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 29, it goes into chapter 13, a love chapter. In verse 29, it's that verse where it says, are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in an unknown language? 
Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. He says, so earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But let me show you a way of life that is best of all. And chapter 13 is all about love. He said, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of the angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and strategies and possessed all knowledge and insight, and if I had such great faith that I could move mountains but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and I was even sacrificing my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing by doing so. Love is patient. And I love this because he, just in case you're confused, let me tell you what love looks like. <laughs> he says love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous of others, nor boastful, nor proud, nor rude. We got a lot of rude people in America. I'm just going to keep it real. Nobody's going to say amen on that? I'm just saying. Yes, right? You been on Facebook lately? Okay, then, I'm just saying, I got some good beatings there. Nor rude. It does not demand its own way. So that's it. It does not demand its own way. Love does not do that. It is not irritable. And it keeps no records of being wronged. We're all thinking, okay, erase it, erase it, erase it. <laughs> Seriously. It does not rejoice about injustices and be like, they got what they deserved. But it does rejoice whenever truth wins out. That's good. That's so good. Because justice was met, but redemption was available. And I love verse 7. It's my favorite. Love never gives up. So don't give up on this nation. Don't give up on the prodigals. Don't give up on your loved ones. Don't give up on this church. Don't give up on your destiny, and don't give up on yourself. Love never loses faith. It is always hopeful. It always endures through every circumstance. So if there's a circumstance where you're struggling... Enduring, 
Ask God for more love. He goes on and he says, prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. What's he talking about? When we see God, we're not going to need that anymore. All these great gifts that we have will be useless. But love will last forever. And I love the testimony of uh, Rick Joyner. He had an encounter with the Lord. And I don't aspire to support everything you know, he necessarily supports, but I do honor and respect him as a man of God. And this one thing he said, I believe, is true with all of my heart. He said he saw Enoch and he saw Elijah in an encounter. And he said Enoch glowed with the love of God and he was gloriously beautiful. It was like the love of God emanated off of Enoch. And he said, but Elijah was temperamental and irritable. And frustrated, and it was like he didn't glow like Enoch did. And when I read this verse here, but love will last forever. We know God is love and God lasts forever. But I pondered the possibility that the scripture says that Christ is our inheritance. And I wondered if, to the measure we allow Christ to be formed in us, if that will be our eternal inheritance. Christ in you is the hope of glory. If the Lord were to come right now, not 10 seconds from now, right now, how much glory would you carry forever? How much love would you emanate for all of eternity? And there's no condemnation, there's no shame, but think about it that way. Where you're at right now today, is there somewhere, some area, like Jackie was singing earlier today, it was so beautiful, fill every corner of my heart. Is there a corner of your heart you've kind of been shutting the door on God and saying, no, yeah, nice try, Holy Spirit, you're not coming in here. There's too many cobwebs, too many spiders, too many secrets. I'm sick in this area and I don't want to face it. Or can you trust him and open up the door and say, okay, 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 I give. Uncle, uncle, I'd rather face this now with you, the God of perfect love, than face an eternal timeline not emanating who I knew you truly were and not having received the fullness of my inheritance as your daughter, as your son. He goes on and he says, now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things, they'll become useless. All these titles, all these ordained people, Whatever sphere you're in, useless. Your portion at that time will be absolutely useless. Your doctorate degree, your BA, your job title, whatever that is for you, I don't know. Useless. Your million dollars in the bank, useless. Useless. 
When I was a child, Paul said, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I grew up, turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, it's good to grow up. I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. And this is something to think about. Do you remember the verse about the gnashing of teeth, how people were found outside the gate and they were gnashing their teeth? And do you remember what Jesus said to them? He said, away from me, you evildoers, for I did not know you. He didn't say, you did not know me. He's saying, you didn't let me into this closet. I did not know you. I knew you, but you didn't let me know you. You didn't let me in to those intimate places. You didn't want to face this with me. I never knew you. You never took the time to be intimate with me about this. And that's got to break his heart because he's the solution. He's the answer. He provided his son, the very blood of the son of his. Jesus cleanses you from whatever's in that closet, all of it. It frees you from the power of it. Gives you the exact opposite to be who he called you to be. It must break his heart. And then he finishes with this in verse 13, and he says, three things will last forever. Faith. What we see and what we believe. Hope. And love. So if there's only three things that last forever, and they're faith and hope, in love, I would humbly submit we should have three priorities in this life, keeping our faith strong and growing in faith, always being full of hope and keeping our eyes on the author of hope himself, and allowing and ourselves and opening up the proverbial, the proverbial closets of our life so that the love of God can cleanse them out and we can share that same love we experience intimately of him with a hurting world. And we'll have many crowns to lay at his feet before his throne on a day. Amen? So, back to the beginning. We are family. Come on. All my brothers, sisters, and me. I love that song. Family we are. Come on. All my brothers, sisters, and me. We're family because we're new creations. We're family who focus on faith, hope, and are forever being transformed into the image of love himself. Families 
are diverse and they are messy. They stick together, they fight together. Sometimes we fight amongst each other. But families are always changing because family, this family is always growing and maturing. And we have great seasons and we have hard seasons, but we endure them and enjoy them together. Amen? All right. So welcome to the family of God. Your family's not going anywhere. Your family's not leaving you no matter where God takes you. Your family is here to stay. Your family's here to help you become everything God called you to be. And your father, our father, loves you so much. And he is so glad that you sat through this whole message and listened to him today. I love you so much and God loves you. Thank you for listening today. Take a moment and ask Holy Spirit what he wants you to do with what you've learned. And remember, with God, all things are possible. So keep dreaming, keep praying, and simply obey. Because God is good and he has good plans for you. You can subscribe to our blogs, learn about our speakers, and even hear from one of our team members how you can take part in transforming a city, your city with Christ. There's no time like the present. Visit ShekinahOnline.com. If this doesn't excite you, watch for our new and God-inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, and more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world. If you feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekinah.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled Listener Support on every podcast. Until next time, we thank you, we love you, have a blessed day.